0: hey y'all welcome back to let's not wait i can't believe it's time for a second season even in the midst of all the changes of quarantine but i've already heard so many incredible stories from people in an in-between phase brought on by the coronavirus this podcast is all about navigating life before you know where you're going and right now that includes a much larger number of people than we first started this journey so let's get into it Season 2, Episode 1, is the perfect example of how widely felt this disruption has been, and Todd Karsten is here to share his experience of the informal ending. TC was my high school English teacher, but since then, he's become a major part of Kyle and I's family life. He's one of the wisest and most grounded men I have ever met, and I can't wait for you to hear his take on the discomfort of change. So, welcome to the show, TC.
1: Thanks, Ellie. I appreciate it.
0: So today we're going to be talking about what happens when... You are preparing for something to end, and then that end shifts and changes form in a really unexpected way, which is something I think everyone is going through right now. Um, the really interesting part for you is that this is the year that you are retiring.
1: Yeah. And and years ago, when retirement started to be a reality rather than just something at the far end of a long road, this is not at all clearly what I had envisioned um, you have in mind um, a very finite end where you get to say goodbye to your colleagues who have sustained you all these years. You get sort of final hugs from kids. and there's a real, there's a real end. This is not that. And we are all getting used to the fact that the, the normal isn't just the way it's going to be anymore.
0: Right. And you had already seen some of your closest friends retire. So there was like a level of expectation.
1: Absolutely. My very best friend, Gary Kent, retired um, after the class of 2013. And though he battled with it a little bit, there was an absolute finite cut at the end. Mm -hmm. And then he went home during the summer and he was retired.
0: Right. So can you tell us how long you teach, what you taught, uh, taught? Can you tell us how long you taught, what you taught and just kind of paint us a picture of Mm -hmm. the legacy
1: well, it started in 1983, and I won't go year by year, I promise, but I've, I've taught English for 98% of the time. My classes have been English. I taught the lowest level of English the first few years, and I, then I started teaching sophomore honors classes. By the time the early 90s came around, I had AP classes. And of course, as a teacher, at least the teacher that I was, I wanted to be challenged on an intellectual basis. So the, the harder class I could teach, the better. And then taught honors and and AP for quite a while. And then in 2003, um, I had the opportunity to go over to Vanguard and teach in the IB program. And I've been teaching IB senior English and theory of knowledge ever since. Um, It's been a career full of ideas. Um, All I've ever wanted to do is teach kids how to write and how to organize material and how to think for themselves. And so as I look back at it, if there's any legacy um, it's. I, I hope that that's what came out of it. That they understood all that. Um, I had a pretty good buy-in to a lot of from a lot of great kids. So I think that's. Mm-hmm. I think that's the way it probably went.
0: Yes, as one of those kids, it definitely went that way. Thanks for sure. So I want to talk a little bit about what that experience is like being in that room with mm-hmm. you, just because it's more than just being in a class. There's this general feel of the room itself where everything is rainbow and tie-dye and flags hanging from the ceiling and parrots everywhere and Jimmy Buffett playing on the most retro giant sound speaker system possible. And there's just like a warm feeling that makes all the reading and the writing just kind of make more sense for some reason. And then all of a sudden you walk in there and you're like, I think I can write the best thing I've ever written today. I'm a poet now so i think that it's more than just your class it's this entire atmosphere that you've built for decades and the thought of that atmosphere ending is difficult for anyone who's had your class and difficult for you but for it to end without like a rainbow fireworks show Mm. feels inappropriate almost
1: well just to get back to that whole vibe a second um that was obviously intentional Um, I, I always felt that if I'm going to spend seven hours and 45 minutes in a classroom in my Monday to Friday existence, that I had to feel comfortable, but I also understood that I had young people coming in to spend that time with me. So I needed a, I needed a vibe that was sort of appealing to everybody and sort of, I leaned that way with that kind of music and that kind of colorful, uh, attitude. So that made sense to me. As far as the closing up shop with very little pomp and circumstance, the only thing that's not the only thing, that's an exaggeration. One of the things that is allowing me to get through this without completely melting down is that the whole world is at a stop right now. We have all pressed pause. So for me to be selfish and, and say, woe is me over the fact that, you know, one little classroom is not getting the attention that it should after a guy has taught for 37 years, that makes it okay. Now, in the next couple of weeks, when I go in there and start actually taking stuff off the walls, that is still going to bring me to my knees, but not as much as I thought it would. Um, If there was another way around what's going on right now, for example, if I had done something wrong, or if the system had screwed me, or if there was another alternative, that's where regret comes from but there's no regret here. Nobody did anything wrong. So the fact that at some point in the next month, I will walk out of there with blank walls. It's going to be painful, but again, it's, it's less painful than I thought it might be.
0: When you're processing all of that, are there moments or conversations that you're having with people that really understand that are making a difference?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I've, the you know besides my wife mary you know i've talked to dozens of kids over the last few months and and they all understand the vibe that you talked about earlier and so just talking to them and to you and to kyle um it helps me process it again it's there's it's not an it's not an abrupt ending i wrote an article for the paper i think it's going to be on sunday and, and i titled it not with a bang but a whimper Mm. as far as the way it's going out. Um, And that sounds negative and it is, but it's been sort of a slow dissipation rather than one big bang. And I'm wondering if maybe that has helped. The one thing I do know is that the articles I've written and the kids I've talked to have absolutely been therapy for me. The fact that that I can get that stuff out. And when I compare what I am feeling now with what I thought I'd be feeling three years ago, I'm a whole lot more, emotionally strong than I would have been then.
0: Wow, so you feel like you almost <clears throat> have come to terms with that slowly. And it's the, it's interesting too because when you talk about the vibe of the room <clears throat> and the way that it impacted the the literature <clears throat> and the actual content of the class, it only worked because it was so intertwined with who you are as a person. <clears throat> so if you had come in in the suit in that room with the way that it was, it would have felt like you were putting on some kind of a theme but when you're in your favorite jeans and a pair of sandals it just kind of makes sense to that what we're experiencing is the outward expression of who you are on the inside and i think that's why people have such high buy in because people are drawn to people who live in their own truth mm-hmm. and you were one of the first adults i met outside of my own family that was just so comfortable with who you were that you were able to bring me into who you were and let me live there and grow there when, I mean, 17-year-olds are in a really uncomfortable position just every single day, not knowing why they look the way they do or what to think or how to do anything, basically. And there's a lot of expectation to be the oldest kid and grow (laughs) up and be cool at that point. And Lord knows I was not. So it was very uh, comforting. And now thinking about You taking 30 years of that exact same experience and trying to bottle it up and put it in boxes and put it somewhere that makes sense for you now, that feels really complicated.
1: The material part of what I'm taking down from that room is complicated because everything that I take down that is not coming home with me and that is not going to a student is probably going to be discarded. And, but I think teachers, (laughs) teachers are pack rats. And so we've got way more stuff than we need. The reality is that I hope that some of my colleagues take some of the artwork. But, but the other part of that reality is that I'm just going to have to get rid of some of that stuff. But I think one of the things that has helped me is that we've got a nice house, but it's not a huge house. Mary does not want me to duplicate room 203 <laughs> from Vanguard in our house. So I'm going to take the special few, I'll call them artifacts from the museum. Yeah. And they'll they'll hang in a, a special place in my sunroom. Um, but the other stuff is just going to be great memories. And I think at this stage of my life, at age 65, the memories are good enough that I, I can't hold on to, you know, a picture uh, from the beach that somebody sent me. Or every canvas or every flag, I, that's just not possible. But again, it's perspective that has helped, allowed me to be okay with that.
0: Right. So that perspective, does that come over time? Are you feeling differently about this huge leap into the unknown than you did when you were my age?
1: Oh, my gosh. Absolutely. I mean, it, th- there's a point in in a career where you're farther in, Than what you've got to go, and so uh, probably when I when I got into my fifties, I realized that that okay you know fourteen or fifteen years down the road, I'm going to call it a day, whereas I had already taught for twenty some years, so no the 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 finality just doesn't seem quite so final. Yes, I'm going to wake up one day this summer and I'm not going to be an English teacher. But that is not bringing me to my knees as it would have one time. Um, The other part of that, though, as far as, you know, when I'm when I was your age, I had no idea I was going to be an English teacher until I was 28, let alone 17.
0: Well, I'm 24 now. Right.
1: (laughs) But 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 there was a there was a moment when the job turned into a career and the job turned into a passion. Like I always knew I loved English and I knew I loved writing. I just didn't know I loved I would love teaching. And so when all those things mixed, that was magic. And, and that's the part that drove me all those years. Um, That's also the part that three or four years ago when I thought of retiring was devastating in my mind, what that would feel and look like in, you know, 2020, Mm -hmm. something happened along the way, and it doesn't mean that I loved it less, but. But perspective and looking back and reflecting and being able to talk to so many people about this, it's been it's been an interesting transformation.
0: Do you think that when you have all the memories, like you're saying, behind you and you have that success kind of at your back, it helps you to process that you'll be able to take on whatever comes next?
1: I do. And and a few minutes ago I talked about regret as far as the pandemic, you know, forcing our hand. And I know it's sort of corny, but as you look back on a career, which is what I, I guess what I'm doing here, yeah, um, I don't have a lot of regrets. I mean, I screwed up on days. We all do that. But as far as overall, um, if, if there's not going to be a hole in my heart um, that said, man, you really let these kids down. I did at times. There's every teacher does. Every parent does. Every spouse does, but, but the overall vibe I get looking back is just one of joy and fulfillment. And I'd like to think that that was fulfillment on my side of the desk, as well as, as those thousands of kids that sat with me in that, in those rooms.
0: When you're going through that process of actually this being the last first day of school and Mm -hmm. the last Christmas break and all of those milestones, Mm -hmm. how do you process knowing it's the last time. How do you walk through the actual day?
1: It's so different now because of what's gone on. For example, there's a poem called My Papa's Waltz that I did with you in your group, and I've done it every year since I started. Mm-hmm. So I started in August of 2019 with that poem, and a buddy of mine, Keith Bauman, who I've known for 35 years, teacher friend who is now at Vanguard as well, he came in and took a picture of me writing the questions on the board because it was the last first time. And so all that stuff took on sort of a poignance. Um, When I started teaching 1984 for the last time, which is my favorite book, that was in late January, right before all you know what broke loose. (laughs) So there was a very cognizant, finite understanding that these were the last times. Um, And so when I when we finished V for Vendetta after that, which is what I always show right after 1984, again, the last time that I'm going to see that incredible movie with a bunch of really cool kids. Um, Now it's different. Um, It's um, I don't know. the, The last first time just doesn't quite mean the same thing as it did then.
0: Do you feel like you can sense that it is different than all the other times that you've done that? Or is it just so part of who you are that the last first time just is you?
1: I get so much joy out of teaching moments. And so the discussion that I know is coming when I put my Papa's Waltz up on the board or the discussion that I know is coming when the girl who Winston thought was a thought criminal or was a a thought police is now his lover. So those are the moments that I cherish. But again, so in other words, I'll never have a discussion about that stuff again with kids. Two things. The pandemic has put a whole different view on that. And the fact that I knew five years ago when I signed my drop papers that this day would come. So I think in a way, the last five years has been a series of me just starting to grow up. Even, in, even you know, once I'm six years old, there's a, a maturity and understanding that can happen. And I think that's really what has happened.
0: So what's one of the main things that's bringing you joy in the midst of losing the lasts?
1: I do still get to teach a couple times a week, although it's the Zoom class and there's no magic or juice when you see kids on a screen um, rather than right in front of you. But I think the joy it's almost and it's almost separate from teaching. And it might be the fact that since the world has pushed pause, um, there's a there's been a real time for reflection. And I'm hoping that everybody does that. Um I ride my bike every day. Mary and I go walk go for walks. We play you rode s- your bike here. Yep. We <laughs> we play street tennis. And and I'm the, the joy and again, the the over the over the overall part of joy for me as this career ends is that I've got 37 years worth of incredible memories with kids. So I'm start I think what I'm starting to do is separate a little bit. Not I can't wait to get away from the teaching part of me, but I'm realizing that the retired part of me is gonna be okay. Yeah. So that's a pretty cool combination of realizing. I hope that that the kids got as much out of it as I did. And oh, by the way, I'm still 65 years old and have really good stuff ahead. And, and doing so many things outside, inside, reading, thinking, meditating. Um, it's going to be okay.
0: What is something that you're really looking forward to? What do you hope is next?
1: I've got to keep my mind busy. So I have been reading more... <laughs> non-school related books in the last six or eight weeks than I've read in my life. Wow. And that's really important. And clearly, I'm not going to teach those books. I always, when, when I used to read non-school books, I would read them with the eye of, I wonder how I can work this into my class. Mm. And clearly, that's not going to be the case anymore. So, you know, the 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 dual aim of what's ahead is I got to keep intellectually fit, And that means writing and reading, but I also need to keep physically fit and that thank goodness my whole life, um, being outside and doing things has been important. And I've told people sort of joking, but I just want to be the healthy older guy. And so, because if I can be the healthy older guy, fitness wise, then the reading and the other stuff is going to take care of itself.
0: Yeah. So when you're reading books now, like we both read Where the Crawdads Sing Mm. since you knew you weren't going to teach again. What is that? Are you looking to have that conversation just casually in a friendship like we do? Or do you want it to be like you can just take it into your heart and you know that it's good and that's that?
1: Yes, the second one. Because, you know, when you're an active reader, which which sounds very teacher-ish, but when you're an active reader, you're having conversations with yourself every page. Because you're thinking about what's going to happen next. And as an English teacher and sort of a writer myself, I do look at how they're doing things. Like I'm writing a book right now that the story is okay, but the writing I think is awful. But so so those kind of conversations go on constantly. And I think the cool part about having taught English is that I've trained myself to be an active reader. Now, I'm not. I'm probably not going to take notes in the margin anymore. That's the one thing I probably will not do. But it's a constant conversation, and I think that's going to keep me really healthy.
0: I love that you talk about. I mean, it, it's so 1984, but it, I love that you talk about taking in these books and like like keeping them around you in a way to keep you safe, to keep you physically and mentally fit. Because so often I feel like we look at school as like when you check the box and Mm. if you take if you read great gatsby once then you're a better person for it and then you move on but that doesn't mean that you're keeping that story close you're keeping the way it was written around you so that you actually are healthier yeah and that's really it is what it feels like if you're reading books in a way that's that you're physically attached to it yes i i love reading that way I think a lot of
1: that, though, was because of you. Well, I appreciate that. I, I do feel, though, on the reading side that when you read good books, part of them stay in you. Oh my you know, it's not like we're going to turn into every character we read about, but there's something, there's a, there's a ambiance, there's a, uh, a layer of something that stays with you, which is why after I read a good book when I'm done. When I turn the last page, I sit for a minute because I've got to sit and understand what just happened. Mm-hmm. Whereas when I read bad books, I close it and I'm I'm looking for something else to stimulate my mind.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Kyle has a Kindle and he loves his Kindle and he likes to have it. But I like to have the book mm-hmm. in the house. Mm-hmm. And I have all these books from you know when i was in high school and stuff like that that he i keep making him move from place to place and he's like we got to get rid of these like get yourself a kindle what are we supposed to do with these books it's so heavy right. and i'm like i need my friends in the house yeah i feel different when i walk past the bookcase and i know that layla's on the bookshelf mm-hmm. and i need her to be there otherwise like i'm not the same mhm it's in, it's interesting to think that other people like Kyle can have that just in his mind. I think he has a way better memory than me, so he can keep it close. but I need to be reminded about you know a thousand splendid sons just because I can touch the book cut
1: well and and there and there are differences between you and Kyle <clears throat> it, you know emotionally you're you're a little bit more of a tactile person, yeah, and so am I and that's why that's why I need the book in my hand mm-hmm. and on my bookshelf,
0: yeah, well. I hope that you get to sit in your sunroom with a few flags and a million books all around you basically from now and till the very end. Oh, yes. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for being here. I love you.
1: Love you, Ellie. This has been awesome. And I know that I'm not the regular demographic of your podcast, but, uh, but I've really, really enjoyed this. Thanks. <laughs>
0: thanks so much for tuning in to the second season of let's not wait obviously the audio for this episode is a little bit different than normal and that is because i moved and the pod port that i normally record in is in the master bedroom of my old place this season might sound a little bit different or maybe it's just this episode but i'm figuring out as i go and i really appreciate you bearing with me